is our theme this year. You know what I love about this theme? Whatever I preach on, I can bring under the umbrella of the theme. So this morning, I want to speak to you about our workplaces. I want to speak to you about work. And uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting, and I'm just going to pray. Father, I ask that you would take what I'm about to say, make it life, make it real, make it helpful, Lord God. Father, your word isn't just for a Sunday, it's for every day. It's not just for times when things are tough, it's just for the everyday things of life. It's how to live life wisely, O Lord. And Father, I pray as I speak today, Father, let something be taken home by every listener. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a lot of us spend more than 40 hours of our living week at work. And so if you hate kind of like 40 hours of your week, of your waking week, if you hate that, it's going to be pretty hard to live. right? We're talking about live, living unrestricted. If you hate 40 hours or more of your week, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy to really live. So what's happening in our workplaces will go a long way to determining you know, how are we going to live this year in 2021? You know, they say the difference between Americans and Australians is that Americans live to work, but Australians work to live. And this message really comes out of the fact of my wife, who has just got an incredible work ethic. You know, on Sunday, uh, Friday she has a day off and she just turns to me and she goes, you know what, I'm going to paint all the back area of the house, all the doors. And so from 9 o'clock to 6.30, and what I loved about it, she didn't expect me to help her, right? And uh, uh, so she just worked, worked hard. I came home, watched a bit of TV, right? Like, uh, doing a great job, hon. Right? So, uh, right, so it was good. I, I, you know, I did help her fold the, well, the, the cloths, right? So, um, but you know, Nina is always working. She's just got a great work ethic. And out of that, because of that, my kids have got a great work ethic. You know what I mean? They're, they're kids that you'd be glad to have in your workplace. Nina's a, someone you'd be glad to have working on you. Because that work part of life is stable, their whole lives are stable, and they're able to live better. Never underestimate the power of stability. And when you have such a huge chunk of your life taken up, by one thing, stability is really important. Having this ability where, where it's just stable, I kind of know what's going to happen, I, it, it's, it's a vehicle for me, it is a, it's a good thing to have. But if you're a student here, don't turn off because one day you will be working. If you think about it, some people love their jobs, some people endure their jobs, some people hate their jobs. Now, I'm guessing if you're in any one job long enough, there'll be moments where all of those things are true. Right? I think that if you were a golf professional, there'd still be days where I've got to go play golf again. Right? I'm not saying that it always, but if it's always hard, if you always hate it, if you always dread having to go to work, then something needs to give and something needs to change. This morning, I hope that I'm going to help you excel in your job. 
But before I go on, let me build a foundation that will seemingly have nothing to do with our workplace, but it's a framework and a foundation upon which everything I'm about to say sits upon. I'm talking today to Christians, and I just want to say this. You are not a victim of life. You're not a victim of fate. You're not a victim of the cosmic forces or the aligning of the planets. You are a son and daughter of God with a plan and a purpose of God specifically for you that was prepared before you were even born. You are gifted. You are unique. You are loved. And you are empowered by God himself to make it. So don't allow yourself to get into a self-pity party, a woe is me, there's nothing I can do about my life and circumstances. The Bible is full of people who overcame the most difficult of circumstances. And if I were to pass the microphone around, there's a whole lot of people in this room that have got a reason to be upset but have got on with whatever it is that they had to face. They overcame. People who are walking testimonies of the grace of God being sufficient for them during their most tough times. God has given you the ability to get out of your strife. We can't help the suburb that we are in because of what's happened to us, but we don't have to live there. We don't have to build a house there. There is something you can do about it. So that's a foundation. It's a bit of a rant, right? Uh, but unless you actually understand that, you won't get out of what I'm about to talk about uh, with what I'm trying to say. So that's the salvation, that the, sorry, the, the, the foundation and the framework. And it seems like it doesn't kind of relate to our work in our workplaces, but you will see that it does. Now, over the years, I've had a lot of different jobs. Listen to all the jobs I've had. I've been a storeman at a furniture store, a storeman, a storeman at a curtain rod manufacturer, a storeman at a medical supplies company. I worked for a company putting together book orders for schools. Very exciting. All right. I pumped petrol in trucks at a transport depot. That's what I was actually doing when I got saved. Right, uh, I unloaded trucks at an other transport depot. I pumped petrol at a service station. Remember, they used to do that. That's how old I am. Young people, do you know that people used to go there and people would actually come to your car and fill up your car yourself? Unbelievable. I know that did happen back in the day. And I had a job. Right, I was a painter. I worked at the Moomba gas fields, which are in the middle of Australia. This, you're going to freak out now. I worked in a childcare centre, right? Those poor kids, right? I walked in a child. I, I actually love that. I love kids. I, I was a barman, not at the same time, all right? Not in that, right? <laughs> the worst job I ever had was working in a factory. I, I worked at Channel 2 back in the day where there were only four channels, right? So it was important. And what we would do is that, uh, I remember in South Australia, you watch the weather and they would have a box and it would have a picture of South Australia telling you the weather or, and then it would turn and it would have a picture of Australia telling you the weather in Australia. I was the one that turned Australia. <laughs> right? 
All I, I turned Australia. I was the one. Yeah, I t- very responsible job. Very responsible job. My very first job was as a trolley boy at Woolworths. I also worked for Woolworths for a long time and also at Bilo, which is another supermarket chain in South Australia. I ran a snack bar in, a, uh, in Port Pirie, which is like a small country town north of Adelaide. I was terrible. People would come in and go, I want a hamburger. I'd go, I don't really feel like making that. So I'd tell them, oh, there's no meat. Or I have a pie. Right? So uh, <laughs> uh, what else did I I worked in a pinball parlor once. That was good. And I'm still really good at pinball. I'm thinking of buying a pinball machine, but young people don't even know what a pinball machine is. This is, I sold over $3 million of children's photos for Pixie Photo, right? And to be honest, that's the easiest thing in the world. If you can't sell pictures of kids to their parents, don't ever forget selling. It's so easy. It's like, oh, right? And they just sell everything. $3 million worth of kids' photos. That's a big business. And then I worked at Gallipo Foods as a sales rep. Selling food. Once again, if you can't sell food, everyone's hungry. It was good. I, I put on so much weight there. I just, just eat out of people's Bay Marie's. It was awesome. Right? So, uh, and, and now I work as a pastor. So much instability, if you think about it. 18 jobs. And probably through that time, three or four years through that, I was on the dole. You know, for some of those jobs, I got sacked. In one, I kept forgetting to put the petrol caps back on in the cars. <laughs> right? And so people didn't like that. Right? right? So in another one, I, I, I could never match the, what was in the warehouse to what the computer said was in the warehouse, right? Which is, uh, you know, can be quite expensive and they didn't like that. You know, I left one of the jobs because my male boss was just trying to seduce me and, and was trying to do some things and I just didn't like that. So uh, the majority of those jobs was before I was a Christian, right? So God used those jobs to develop me. At the supermarkets, he taught me a work ethic. At Pixie Photo, he taught me how to work hard and to work unsupervised. And at Gallipo Foods, he taught me to work hard unsupervised but actually achieve some goals. And they're all the things that you need as a pastor. To be a pastor, I need to be able to work hard. I need to be able to work unsupervised. I need to be able to see some things happen and, 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 and achieve something. So let's go to the Bible. Proverbs 22 Verse 29, and I'll read a fair few Proverbs today because the Bible really talks a lot about this subject, way more than what we actually think. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. This morning, this message is important because your work, your workplace, your work ethic is one method and a major method that God uses to develop you and to exalt you. And that's exactly what happened to me. God took a guy who couldn't work, wouldn't work, whose life was completely unstable and had no real kind of, uh, kind of what's the word, had no real, not so much opportunity, but had no way of changing his direction without wanting and without developing me to be someone who could work. See, God doesn't want us to live inconsequential life. He doesn't want us to live a mediocre life. He wants us to stand before people and declare the goodness of God. And that's what our workplace does. God doesn't want us just to exist. 
but he wants our lives to make a difference for the kingdom. And if nothing that you can do for 40 hours a week is going to be not used by God to bring glory to his kingdom. Think about it, 40 hours of your week, right, is going to be used to make sure you bring glory somehow to the kingdom. So I want to give you some points today that I hopefully will help you make sure that you excel, that God exalts you, and that you develop into what it is that God has for you. Number one, everyone say one. You are anointed for the job that you have. But I just work in a supermarket. But I just do this, I just do that. You are anointed for the job that you have. If you get ready in the morning and you're complaining, complaining about this, complaining about that, declaring all sorts of things over your workplace, then you are tearing your anointing off you. You essentially go to work naked. How about putting on some anointing clothes before you go to work? This is the day that the Lord has made. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am the head and not the tail. My God is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. He is my fortress. He is my refuge. See, how you begin your day makes a huge determination about how your day will end up going. What are you prophesying over yourself in the morning? What are you prophesying about your day in the morning? How are you driving to work in the morning? See, when you're anointed and trouble comes in the workplace, your anointing starts to get excited. Instead of being the person that's complaining, this is too big, this is too hard, this is not fair, this is not right, you're the guy who goes, oh, maybe God can use this. Maybe God can use this as a vehicle because I can come up with an answer. I can come up with a creative solution. I can come up and be someone who's looking to find a way out rather than just finding a way to get overwhelmed. Your anointing should start to get excited because you've got a creative God, a creative spirit of God inside you that says, I can bring a solution. And I want to tell you, as you bring a solution into your workplace, into those problems, into those areas, all of a sudden something starts to happen. All of a sudden something starts to happen. Your anointing finds a place. The bigger the problem that you solve in your workplace, the more that you will be rewarded. And if your workplace gets into trouble, you're going to be the last one that they say goodbye to, right? If you are adding to your workplace, you are going to be the last one that your boss is going to get rid of. I also want to say to people who are business owners, ask God to give you a niche idea. Something that where you can just do a niche. And I probably told this story before because it was, it was just so impacting to me. But when I worked at Moomba, there was a guy who'd come from Melbourne and he was able to live weld the, the, the gas pipes without them having to shut down the whole works. And because they didn't have to shut down the whole works because this guy was able to allow the, the, the station to keep working, he was paid a squillion dollars because he had this niche ability. He was a welder, but he's getting paid more than probably anyone here because he found a, a, a solution to a problem. 
Look what the Bible says, Proverbs 18.16. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. See, God has gifted you. There is an anointing inside of you. You serve a creative God. And if we don't use him at work, we only use him when problem strikes. We only use him kind of when we come to church. It's, oh, that's my work. It's not, no, you're a Christian everywhere you go. Everywhere you go is a kingdom. Your gift makes room for you. Your gift makes room for you. We talked about gifts last week. Or maybe you need to upskill your gift. Maybe you need to change the place that you work in. But I want to say, don't leave a place until you've got a place to go. Just leaving a job because you didn't like something and then not going somewhere and then just, no. Leave, if you have, if you just don't change until you've got another job. But I remember working in a factory. This was my day, right? I got a piece of metal here. I put it on this machine. I press this thing and then I put this metal there. I, trust me, there is no gifting in me that works with that. I need to talk. I need to be with people, right? So I just got out of that job. I just said, this is not me. Some people, they're very focused. they got a process. That's fine for them. That's what they, that's good. It's not saying that the factory job's bad. It wasn't my gifting, right? Someone else who wants to talk, or, so who hates talking, doesn't really want to be with people, doesn't really, that's their job. They work a process. That's good for them. They work their gifting. So work your gifting. You may need to study. You need to say, God, give me a niche. Like I've said before, I must be aware I've said it twice now. You know, there are people who have jobs in their hobbies, and that's what I say to people now. I said, I never hate my work because I get paid to do now what I used to do in my spare time. I used to leave church and just go and do, sorry, leave job and just go and do church every night. You know, and all our youth leaders say amen to that because they're all working and doing something every night. And I say number two, understand that laziness is your enemy. The reason I'm really going to kind of uh, hone in on this is because that's my natural being, right? I am naturally lazy. And so it's something that I consistently have to push in my own life. I love this scripture, Proverbs 14, 23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. You know, there is nothing worth doing that, that just happens. Nothing just happens. Right? It's just, it, you've got to work at it. You've got to work those things. Proverbs 18, 9. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. How full on is that? One who is slack. You know, there's a great story in Proverbs about laziness and its curses. Let's give a quick look. The sluggard says in the street, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. A lazy person's always got an excuse, always got a reason. And I want to tell you, a lion in the street is a real deal. Not a fake problem. There was a lion, a hungry, fierce lion right now in the car park, right? That's a proper problem. It's not hard. It's a real problem. That's, that's true. But what are you going to do? You can't live here the rest of your year, right? We've got to do something about the lion. 
Five-year-old can point out the problem. Two-year-old can point out the issue. Anyone can tell you the lion's there. A person who isn't slack says, what are we doing about the lion? And I thank God I come under two leaders who if I ever just went in there and pointed out the lion, I was going to be laughed or scoffed out of that office. I was going to be told, what are you doing about the lion? Anyone can tell me the problem. That takes no skills, no, no anything. Anyone can see the problem. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? As the door turns on its hinges, slower sluggard turns in his bed. You know, there's a time to just get up, man. All right, it's time to go to bed and it's time to get out of bed. And uh, if you're just sleeping all the time or need to sleep all the time, that isn't going to work for you. The sluggard buries his hand to the dish, but he's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Someone who's lazy is always starting and you think, I'm going to be doing this. Then they don't finish. I'm going to be studying that. They don't finish. They're not going to be working there. I'm going to do it. They're sluggard. They haven't got the ability to, to get the benefit out of what it is that they started. And that's why I'm always strong, especially on our young people. If you started that, you're finishing it. And for my kids, trust me, there was no, if you started it, I didn't force you to start it. I didn't ask you to start it. I didn't do anything. You started it. You are now finishing it. I don't care. I don't care that you don't like it. I don't care that you thought it was something different. I don't care that it's a bit hard now. You're finishing this. You are finishing this. The sluggard is wiser. Oh, this was me. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. You know, the people who know it, done it, been working at it, they tell you to do it. This way. No, I'm going to do it an easier way. I am the one who is always trying to find the easier way. There's a way of doing it. I remember once going through this time, no, I'm just anointed. I don't need to pray. I literally went through this period. I go, I'm anointed. It's anointing on my life. I don't need to pray. I don't need to pray. Praying is just like, that's works. I don't need to do works. <laughs> you know, like, because I'm kind of find an easier way. Because sometimes that thing of prayer is just hard. Right? Sometimes when, you know, just to go and pray through something is just hard. I did, it didn't last because I realized that prayer isn't there to make me make God do something I want. Prayer is there so for, for God saying to me, I want to relate to you, Mark. I want to relate to you, Mark. I want to relate to you. Right? So laziness is always going to be a companion to the destroyer. This is a Proverbs 13, 4. The sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the diligent, the desires of the diligent, are fully satisfied. Your desires, when you're diligent, are going to be fully satisfied. When you're lazy, you can just crave, I want that, I wish that, I was not that. You, you come up with all those different reasons. It isn't good. See, a sluggard expects that they're owed things. A sluggard makes it all about other people and what they should give them. A diligent person takes personal responsibility. A sluggard has fantasies. A diligent person has vision. It's very different. right? A, a sluggard, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I don't want to work for it. I don't want to do it. It's just going to come to me. It's going to come on, just give it to me. right? But a diligent person goes and gets it. They've got vision. So how does that work out in the real world? Well, get there early. Go to work early and leave when the job is done. Don't leave at one minute past five with half the stuff you said you were going to do still on your table, still on your desk, still on your workplace. 
even when the job is done. Don't take more time for your break than you should. Work with an attitude, if the boss was watching me now, because in Scripture I read later, the boss is watching you now. The person you're actually working for, God who we're actually living before, is watching us in every time. Don't have an expectation all the time that the boss owes you something. Do more than is required of you. Sounds a bit like Jesus. If someone asks for your coat, give me a jacket as well. Or the other, what he said, the two things are the same, aren't they? What's that? Shirt and jacket. All right. Treat the customers that come your way the same way you'd like to be treated. You know, I, I recently just went to a wedding and the servers at this reception were just unbelievable. I felt like I was the king of Persia or something. It was just amazing. They were so good in just serving us. It was just excellent. Don't call in sick because you just basically don't feel like going. You know, Telstra, I heard this story this week. Telstra, they were having this major problem with people just calling in sick. Right? And so the HR department got together with the sales department and together with the finance because it was really costing them a lot on their bottom line. All these people calling in sick and they said, well, what can we do? And the HR department came up with this strategy and they said, we don't mind if you're sick, but we'd ask you to do a couple of things before you call in sick. We want you to have a coffee. We want you to have a shower. And we want you to call us from the car if you're really sick. And they're... What, 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 the absenteeism just dropped, like just dropped. And most times people just, oh, I'm just going to be bothered. I need a mental health, I need this, this. It's just like, no, be a worker. Get in a car and go to work. Number three, have the proper attitude about what the boss should provide you. What does the boss owe you? Boss owes you your wages, owes you money. That's what the boss is actually required to do for you. 1 Timothy 5.18 says the laborer is worthy of his wages. And if you're a Christian, you need to be someone worthy of the wage that you receive. Your hand shouldn't be shaking because you know you were slack. You know you didn't do your best. You know you could have done more. You know that you kind of, in a way, stole by doing these things. Understand that is what your job promises you. Don't expect anything else from your boss. If you expect validation, appreciation, friendship, that's going to lead to disappointment at one time or another, and then your heart will be sick, and then you can't offer that job anything anymore. See, your boss, he may want to be your friend, but it always backfires because today he's your friend, But to know he's got to kind of like address something or he's got to bring a measure of discipline or he's got to put on a requirement that you don't really want to do. And so all of a sudden your friend is asking you to do something and you lose the respect. Also tell you something else that happens with a boss, right? A boss will do something nice for you. Because, you know, this year uh, we're going to take everyone out to 
excellent uh, Christmas dinner. We're going to buy everyone a lobster because you've just worked so hard. By the next year, they don't give everyone a lobster. Now the boss is an idiot and a horrible man because he didn't give you a lobster. You understand? We, we bring disappointments. So what happens is that if you just have a, I can do my job and I'm going to get, if you actually get other things, that's good. And it helps to have a good environment. But in the end, if you need that, then you limit yourself to where God can actually take you. Also, too, your colleagues are all sorts of personalities, right? Some you like and some you won't be a cup of tea. So having that expectations that I'm going to get all my friendship needs dealt with and met with at work is going to once again be disappointing. Though, you know, if you can make friends or you can be friendly, but if you need your friendship there, you're going to be disappointed. See, your work is a public place. It's a place where people see you every day. It's not your private world. It's not a private place. You know, at home with the families, I'll just walk around with a pair of shorts and old slippers or, you you know, I can wear because I'm just at home with my family. I want to say some people walk around their workplaces in their emotional underwear. And they bring all the stuff that happened to them at home and they bring it into the workplace. It's not the place for that. Titus 2.9. Slaves must obey their masters and do their best to please them. Talking about your attitude to the boss. You can easily say employee must obey their employers and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. And then this is why. Look at this. Okay, couldn't you put that back up there? Sorry. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. If you want to hear the reason why I'm preaching this today, that, that last line. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way way. That's why we work hard for a boss. He's not my real boss. This guy's not my real boss. He's my real boss. He's the boss. And when you work, when you have that attitude, when you're a solution giver, you make the teachings of Jesus attractive in every way. Your workplace is not the place to be miserable. It's not the place where you bring your private life. You have a God you can pray to, a family you can talk to, friends that give you advice. You don't need to be bringing all that to work. See, your life has to be seen to be working so that when people who are following some false God, some false idol, when that thing lets them down, they can come and see you. You went through that, yet it didn't send you off the cliff. You went through this, yet you seem to be stable. You went through that. You're a positive person. You seem to have solutions. I'm going to come to you. There's something attractive. And I love the sense of attractive there. It's not about having, you know, all the bits in the right spot. It's about your life draws someone to you. Your life draws someone to you. Yesterday, I was playing golf, and the guy asked me what I did. I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, okay. And I said, what do you do? And he goes, uh, tell me what he did. And I go, oh, one of our board members works there. 
And I told him his name. And he goes, oh, I love that guy. This is what he said. This is exactly what he said. He goes, every time that guy speaks, every time he says something, something amazing just comes out of his mouth. How amazing, how incredible. I'm going, Phew, right? Imagine, oh, that guy's like, oh, you know, like, it's like, I just thought, I'm going to quickly text. <laughs> right? Like, how good is that? How good is that? See, if you fail through your crisis, there's just no attractiveness to that. You're not going to draw anyone to you. But when you've been able to show that Jesus was your rock, that Jesus was your peace, that Jesus is your vehicle through that turmoil, when you're able to show that and be that, oh, that's attractive. When you're not gossiping and, and complaining and, and doing all of those things, ooh, that, that's attractive. When you're not a victim, when you're not a pity party, when you're not entitled, oh, that's attractive. When you work hard and, and you achieve some things and do things, oh, that's, that's attractive. When I was working, I decided I'll always smile. I didn't care what happened to me. I didn't care what I was going through. I was going to smile. I was going to be happy. There was no one was ever going to see me down. All right, number four. Everyone say number four. Your boss is an A-grade customer. All right, so this, this is very helpful. Let me tell you. At Galippo Foods, we would have customers and we would grade them. There was A-grade customers and B-grade customers, C-grade and D-grade. So an A-grade customer was someone who spent $5,000 a week with us. All right, and so they were important customers and and so forth and so forth, until the person who just bought one box of Chico Rolls every six months, right? They're not a very, well, they come in and get it, right? So uh, what happens is that if an A-grade customer wanted a 500-gram thing of butter and their shop was 40 kilometres away, but they needed it, we'd get in the car and we would drive to them and we would give them their $2.50 thing of butter because we made their priority our priority, because overall, they were spending a whole lot more money. You understand? I want to tell you, your boss is an A-grade customer. If your boss wants it, then do it. If there's a responsibility, but he's asking you to do this, then do what he asks. Because if you're busy about doing what he's doing, but there's something that you weren't able to do, then he's understanding, I was doing what you asked me to do. Make him an A-grade customer. Proverbs talks about this. Listen to this. Proverbs 27, 18. Workers who tend a fig tree are allowed to eat its fruit. In the same way, workers who protect their employer's interests will be rewarded. Will be rewarded. You don't have to like your boss, but it may be your boss that God is using to make you into the person that he wants to make you into so that you can be used in the kingdom. See, if you can only work with or for people you like, that is a massive limitation. That's a massive limitation to where God can take you. And I want to tell you, God will use every sort of personality to train you. You know, when I was working in retail in those supermarkets and I was, God was trying to teach me a work ethic, 
I work for guys that they they are comic book characters. Right? You are just going. This you are no way a person like doesn't. Mate, they were my boss, right? And and it was just horrible. It was just terrible. I remember one day being so mad at my boss. Going, you are just an idiot. I was so mad, and I was going to quit. I was going to tell him he was an idiot and why he can take his job and do what and all these things. I go into the toilet. Try this. I always read the word in there because the Proverbs has been this. This is what I read. This is what I read. If your boss is angry with you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Oh, thank you, God. You know, that boss actually ended up becoming a friend that I would play golf with. Right? But at that time, I was so mad. Don't quit just because it's tough at the time. So many people quit when God is just trying to outwork something in their lives and is using their boss and is using their workplace to work that in. If you think about it, it's actually genius. If you're somewhere for 40 hours a week or more, it just makes sense that God is going to use your boss to mold you and make you. It just makes sense that he would do that. Okay, number five, say five. Don't get into clicks and watch your mouth. An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things as surely as the work of his hands reward him. You are called in your workplace to be an influence, not to be influenced. You be the yeast. You be the yeast. You know, when I was working, a lot of times people would swear, and then they would always kind of, I'm sorry, I swear. It doesn't bother me, but at least I thought they feel bad about the fact that they're swearing in front of me. One guy would always, like, you'd see some woman go past or some girl, and he'd say some disgusting thing about her, and I'd always say, your wife's beautiful. What are you talking about? I'd literally say that to him every time, and he would just get sick of it, but I'm just get, I'm going to... All right, and so he stopped saying those disgusting things, right, that he would always say. Right, you've got to actually start to have some influence, right, start to, to be someone, know what people they stand for. You, I remember being, this is, this is a funny story. So I am um, in, church, in church, in, in work, and the store was closed. I was doing some night field, doing something like that. I hear a... Uh, over the microphone, over, over the store microphone, come over, this is Satan, right? You need to stop spreading your propaganda over this church, uh, sorry, over this workplace. And I'm going to, you know, and, and, it was, and so we had a bit of a laugh, right? About a month later, right, this guy's not at work. Like, I hear about him. And I go, and I found his, his name was Nick. And Nick is not at work. And then I've heard that he's in a mental institution. Thinking, what's going on here? So I went and visited him. So what this guy did is on a Saturday night, he had taken a lot of drugs. And he decided that there was a devil inside of him. I don't know if there was, but he decides the devil is inside of him. So he thinks to himself, because under the drugs, under the influence of drugs, he goes, 
the only person who can help me is Mark Elmendorf, right? So he's sitting there and he decides he's well enough to work out that he can't drive. So he decides he's going to come to church. He knows I'll be at church, right? And so he starts running. Then in his drug state, he goes, I've got too much clothes on. There's too much resistance. And he takes off all his clothes, right, and starts running down Glimburn Road, right? Pastor Fred, you would know Glimburn Road, right? Starts running Glimburn Road naked. Now, it was, he's a big man, right? That's right. Someone, if you see a large man running naked down the road, that is concerning, right? And so someone called the police and the police came and he so had it in his head that he had to come and see me that he, you know, smashed their windscreen and they had to arrest him. And when I saw him in the hospital, he had all these, like, all his wrists were, were, were all grazed and, and, and busted up because of the, the handcuffs and he'd come back. But see, I'd had an influence. Now, that was, that's, I'm not saying people got to get drugs and, and that's how. But one day, probably six months later, I was at church and I was doing the count and see how many people were at church. Came to the altar call time, and this guy, Nick, came out the side and gave his life to Christ. You know, that, that's, that's all you want. I, I had an influence. And it wasn't always good. There was one time that he locked me in a freezer, right? So I, I just got the forklift when he was in it. Keely was the fruit and veg guy. And I just got the forklift and I put it up really high and just walked away, right? So, uh, but we, we, you know, like, is, is, is fun. See, we got to be an influence, not be influenced. We are the yeast. When I took a job, I used to say, I'll work anytime you want, but I can't work Wednesday nights and I can't work Sundays. Wednesday nights was always life group. And in my interview, I told him that. I was prepared to give up the job because it was kingdom first. Kingdom first. And, that's, and, I, and I said right in the interview, I said, and when you go for birthday drinks every week, I'm just not going to go. I said, I'm a youth leader in a youth group. And if people see me coming out of a pub, Coming out is just going to tell him a wrong story that I don't want to say. So I was prepared to say those type of things at my interview and not have the job if that was going to be a problem to them. But right there, you're just setting a standard, not a weird one. You're just telling them why. And, uh, and if you, I'm not saying that was my standard. I'm not putting my standard upon you. It's what I wanted to do. But he put kingdom first. I never once got into discussions on how bad the work was, how bad the boss is and all of those different things. It is unfruitful. It is unfruitful and doesn't set you apart and doesn't make the teachings of Jesus more attractive. Number six, a great reputation is worth more than riches. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is more describable than great riches to be esteemed better than silver or gold. What do people say about you? What do people say about you? You know, if I were to play golf with the people in your place, what would they say about you? You know, it's so encouraging to me to hear what that person said about one of our board members. I just thought it was great. See, perception is reality. What people think about you is actually really important. So let's be people that they think well of. Listen to see why, once again. Mordecai is prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces and he became more and more powerful. 
See, it was Mordecai's reputation to get the job done, to do something good, to be able to achieve something that made people take notice. And there'll be people that may be in your workplace that you don't even know about, but because you did something right, they hear about, oh, you need to use Sarah, you need to use Dominic, you need to get a hold of Rob, you need to get a hold of Mary. Because let me tell you, they'll make, they'll make something happen. Your reputation will go for you and it will help you be exalted. Your reputation, like Mordecai, can be a vehicle to your promotion. I want to side note this. I want to side note this. This has got nothing to do with my sermon, but I just wanted to say it. Wives, make sure your husband feels respected at home. Because men are just simple, ego-driven creatures. You tell us we're good, we'll do anything we want, you want. But if a man gets his respect at work, but feels like at home he never measures up, then slowly, 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 he will go to work and work and work and work because that's where he's respected. That's where he's respected. And your relationship will suffer. And I just want to tell you, Marriage breakdown is much higher in high-achieving people, right? Marriage breakdown is higher. And the reason is, is that because someone's getting their respect in their workplace and not at home. So make sure that you make sure your husband is pretty easy. As I said, we're just ego-driven. You know, many people don't see the correlation between our work and our spiritual effectiveness, but it's there. Let's go to Bible. Timothy 1, Timothy 3, 4, talking about the qualifications to someone who comes through the ministry. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. A reputation towards outsiders and to people in the world right, needs to actually uh, be good. And that gives you an opportunity to do something in the kingdom. Like, it matters. If you're a hopeless worker at work, why would I think you're going to be a great worker at church? Because all of a sudden it's the church. If you're hopeless at work, you're going to be hopeless in the church. Oh, I, I, it, it, it's just true. You know, what I actually believe, and you see with all of our staff here at church, they all took a step down to come in to ministry. Right, easier. It's, a, it's not a career move. I'm now going to ministry. No, they all gave up money. They all gave up position. They all gave up opportunity to be in the ministry because that's how God had called them. They had a reputation to be able to work outside, so I knew that they could work inside. So I want to say, you know, Gallipo Foods, one day a board member of Paradise Church saw the owner of Gallipo Foods. He's a good man, Sebastian. And uh, he saw him in the, in the holidays. And it, somehow they got talking about church. He goes, oh, yeah, that Paradise Church. He goes, I had two great uh, sales reps, and the church took them off me, right? So Matt Hines, who's coming to speak at our, uh, uh, our summit this year, uh, he is now pastor at the Faith Church in Melbourne, right? He was working for Gallipo, and I was working for Gallipo. We both left Gallipo Foods to go and work at the church. And then this guy, he's like saying, you should be grateful, you should be grateful and God will bless your business because God used you to train them for what he had for them. And, you know, I thought that was amazing. And then last night I was just looking at the Crows who won, yes. 
right? And I found out Gallipo Foods are one of their major sponsors. And, you know, if I rang up Sebastian today and I said, Sebastian, I need a job. And this is, I haven't worked there, I don't know, since 1994, right? So a long, long time. I reckon he would still give me a job, right? Because I worked. I worked for him and I did something for him. So let's help some things. Just leave that. Be honest. Be an honest person. Be honest about what you say. Be honest in who you are. Be honest in your work ethic. Be honest in your dealing with company property and and all of those things. Don't take your pulpit to work. This is the only place for a pulpit in church. Don't be preaching to people. Example people. And when people ask you a question, be ready to give an answer for the hope in Christ Jesus that you have. Let your word be your bond and keep your promises. You say you're going to do something, do it. Let the others be the ones who talk about you. Can you tell everyone how good you are? Let who you are be what brings the conversation. Number seven, maybe the musos could come. Number seven, where you are now is not where you will always be. Proverbs 15, verse 24. The way of life winds upward for the wise. The way of life winds upward for the wise. Now, I remember finishing Bible college and I thought, I should come into the ministry now. The world is ready for me. I am awesome. I can do this. I can do that. I'll be the best pastor ever in the history of pastors. And I didn't get a job. To be honest, it was, I didn't get into the ministry and I, and I had a terrible job. I was working at Woolworths, getting trolleys out, filling shelves, doing all of these things, feeling sorry for myself. And then one day in prayer, God said, I'm working on you, I'm training with you. And something changed inside my heart. And I said to God, God, if, if the only thing I ever do in the kingdom is work here at Woolworths, then I'll be the best worker at Woolworths that there is. I think I can do some more. But if this is what you have for me, then that's what I'll have. And I had this attitude at work that this is where God's got me now. So until He moves me, He must have a reason. And so He started to develop within me a work ethic. And then when I went to Pixie Photos, as I said before, I learned how to work unsupervised. Because in the kingdom, it's about I work unto God, not for a boss anyway. Right? I, I work for God, I don't work for the kingdom. And then just with, with Gallipo, Gallipo Foods, it was just get, getting, setting goals, achieving those goals, and getting rewarded for that. See, God was developing me. God was developing me. And if you look at your workplace as a place where God's developing you, then God is going to do something. So what do you do if you lose your job? Or maybe you're here and you're unemployed. I'd say number one, don't despair. Number two, don't give up. Number three, take it as an opportunity to upskill in some particular way. Number four, do some voluntary work. Number five, don't become unemployable. You get up at 11 every morning, do all these different things, stay up till two in the morning. Keep normal hours. Keep a worker's routine. 
Don't become a complainer about your life because all you'll do is be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And misery loves company. So beware of the company that you keep during those times. I want to finish with one last scripture. And it's one of my favorites. They're all favorites, but I like this one. Isaiah 8, 12. Actually pretty pertinent for the times we live in now. Do not be afraid that some plan conceived behind closed doors will be the end of you. Do not fear anything except the Lord Almighty. He alone is the Holy One. If you fear Him, you need to fear nothing else. He will keep you safe. God has your future in His hands. And if you see today as the opportunity to get you into tomorrow, as you trust God with your future, no man can have any control over your future. There may be a negative report, a setback, all these different things, but God has a plan. God has a future. God has gifted you. And we need to look to Him. And yes, it's secular. Yes, it's every day. But I want to tell you, when you're a Christian, every waking moment is actually about the kingdom. You know, the majority of people in church are going to be workers. Maybe 5% of people might end up in ministry. So that means 95% of people got a job. I'm not better because I got a job as a pastor. That's my job. That just happens to be what it is. Your job is to be what it is that you are. Wherever you're working in a place that you are, that's what God has for you. And that's where He's going to outwork His purpose. That's where He's going to influence the kingdom. That's where God is going to do something. You know, I want an employer to be happy that someone from a merged church works for them. I, 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 that's, that's my goal. That they're going, can you find someone else from your church to come and work here? Is there anyone else at your church that wants to work? Is there, is there anyone else that you know because of your life, your words, your behavior, you've made the teachings of Jesus attractive?